invite you to turn in your copy of Scripture to our sermon text this morning, which is Hebrews chapter 10, verses uh, verses 19 through 22. And there we read, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. I'll continue reading the remaining verses in this section. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. As we've noted the previous section that we were in, in Hebrews, was a lengthy section that served to explain in detail uh, the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ, our great high priest. It was from chapter 4 all the way to the present chapter here in chapter 10 that the Holy Spirit, through the inspired author, revealed to us Christ's priestly ministry in all of its fullness. He pointed out different aspects of how Christ fulfilled this role of our great high priest on earth and how he continues to be our priest forever in heaven. It is, I used this analogy before, it is like a globe of the world that is turning slowly. It's the same globe, but as it turns, we see different aspects of it different details. And it's the same with Christ's priestly ministry, that in the chapters that we have looked at thus far, that globe was turning and we saw different aspects of how Christ is our great high priest. And so now in chapter 10, verses 19 through 25, the inspired author summarizes the doctrine and he moves toward application. And he organizes this passage around three exhortations that you might have noticed in our reading. The first exhortation there is, let us draw near to God, verse 22. The second is, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. And the third is, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, verses 24 and 25. We might say these are three lettuces. It's an easy way to remember it. So this morning, we will consider the first exhortation found there in verse 22, let us draw near to God. Let us draw near to God. The first question I want to ask is, why does the inspired author need to exhort or to encourage these first century Hebrew Christians, the original audience of this letter, why does he need to encourage them to draw near to God? Well, he does so because they were tempted to return to the old covenant mindset of restricted access to God's presence. We know, don't we, that 
the Old Testament tabernacle and temple worship was characterized by exclusivity, characterized by restriction. It was the priests alone who could enter into uh, God's presence in that holy place and in that most holy place. Gentiles were not allowed. Women were not allowed. It was characterized by restriction, by no access. And especially with the most holy place, that place we know also as the Holy of Holies, where the Ark of the Covenant was, where God's presence was under the Old Covenant. And it was in that room that only the high priest could enter in. And he, but once a year, on the Day of Atonement, with blood not his own. So access into God's presence was characterized by restriction and fear in the Old Covenant. So the author writes again, as he did in chapter 4, to explain to the Hebrew Christians that there has been a dramatic change. There's been a dramatic shift from the Old Covenant to now the New Covenant. And this New Covenant is characterized not by restriction and fear, but it is characterized by access and assurance and confidence. And so they are now to draw near to God. And while we this morning are not first century Hebrews, we can sometimes fall into this same kind of thinking, the same kind of temptation. You know, we can be tempted to believe that we are not worthy to draw near to God, that that same restriction is up for us as well. We know our sin, especially as we grow in our understanding of God's holiness as Christians. We know our sin all the more. We know our failures, as God's law reminds us of all of our imperfections. Loved ones, we know, don't we, how messy we are. And as a result, we can start to think, you know, I can't go to God like this. I can't draw near to him and worship. And so, loved ones, the Holy Spirit is speaking to us this morning just as much as he spoke to those first century Christians. He now exhorts us to draw near to God. And not just draw near, but he exhorts us to do so with confidence, with boldness, with peace, with joy. Why? What has brought about this change, loved ones, from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant? Well, we see first that we must draw near to God, and we can now draw near to God because Christ has accomplished our salvation, our first point this morning, because Christ has accomplished our salvation, as we see in verses 19 through 20. This is the first basis for the exhortation for us to draw near to God in worship. See, the inspired author is pointing to something that has happened in the past, that before you and I were even born, that something has happened that has brought about the possibility of our intimate communion with God. And that something, he says, is Christ's obedient life 
in his atoning death. Look at verses 19 through 20. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. So we see in these verses in our text that when we worship, loved ones, we enter into those holy places, he says, now by the blood of Jesus. This is in contrast to the old covenant priests, those old covenant priests who entered the Holy of Holies by the blood of an animal, by blood that could not take away sin. Loved ones, the scripture is revealing to us that you and I don't enter into God's presence that way. We enter into God's presence by the blood of Jesus, by the blood of Jesus that was shed for every race, and that sprinkles now the throne of grace. And notice there in verse 19 that the text says we enter into the holy places so that when we worship, we are transcending the bounds of time and space. We are, loved ones, lifted up to heaven itself in our worship of the triune God. Remember the previous texts in Hebrews that described the tabernacle as uh, being patterned after the heavenly sanctuary, that it was, the author described it as a blueprint of the reality, the glory that heaven itself is. And loved ones, we now are worshiping in that heavenly reality. When we worship, when we come to God by the blood of Jesus, we enter into those holy places that the tabernacle was merely a shadow of in the old covenant. And we know this. We know that we enter into those heavenly places by the blood of Jesus. The author says, because the curtain to the temple was torn from top to bottom when Jesus died on the cross. Look again at verses 19 through 20. Therefore, brothers, and he includes the whole church there, women as well, children as well, the believing community, the covenant family, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, notice, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. You see in the text, he connects that curtain that separated the holy place from the most holy place. He connects that to Christ and the temple Christ himself, that the curtain that was in the temple that restricted access to God, that curtain that represented separation from God because of sin, that curtain we know was torn at the moment of Jesus' death. That curtain was a reminder of sin, of spiritual separation. So when Jesus died on the cross, it was that same curtain that was torn from top to bottom, from heaven to earth, revealing what? Revealing that passage into God's presence was now open 
that there was access. That in a sense, loved ones, when Christ's body was torn on the cross by the nails and the Roman spear, his blood flowed, bringing about the atonement that was needed for all God's people. That is the picture the writer of Hebrews is showing us. That the old covenant high priest, he had to pull that curtain aside in order to enter into God's presence in the most holy place. And when he did, you know, when he pulled that curtain aside, he did so with fear and with trembling and with great hesitation. He did so with blood, not his own, as he entered into that most holy place. And loved ones, the picture for us is the exact opposite. That when we enter into those, that holy place, we enter into worship. We enter in, not through a curtain that is made of material that is hanging in a building, but we enter through Christ himself, through his torn body and his shed blood. And so, loved ones, that is what we always need to keep in view as we enter into worship every Lord's Day, as we enter into worship in our lives on a daily basis, be it in our devotional times with the Lord, uh, be it when we seek him in prayer, we always need to keep in view this understanding of our worship, that we approach God through the Son and through the merit of the Son, not in ourselves and not in our own merits. Because so often, so often our worship is characterized by uh, how we feel. It's so subjective sometimes. It's characterized by feeling uh, and asking the question, am I worthy? Have I been good enough this week? Loved ones, we need to stop thinking that way. We need to stop that, and we need to look to Christ, to look to what he has accomplished by his sacrifice, by his body that was torn by the nails and by the spear, by the blood that flowed from his body to cleanse us of sin. We need to look to him. One old Scottish Presbyterian once said, look to Christ. For every look you take at yourself, look ten times to Christ. Why? Because every time I look at myself, I hear the voice in my head saying, stay back. Get away. This was Peter's reaction when he saw the glory of the Lord Jesus in one of his miracles, you recall. His reaction was, get away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. Peter, like Isaiah, realized his status before a holy God on his own was one of judgment and of fear, one of being without merit. And yet, loved ones, despite our feelings of inadequacy and shame and fear, we are exhorted to draw near, to enter into the holy places, into the very presence of God, because we have been covered by blood, not our own. Because we have been covered by blood that has washed away all our sins. That's the first basis of the exhortation to draw near. 
The second basis we see in our text is found in the present reality of where Christ is now. The first basis was what happened in the past, that once-for-all atonement that has cleansed us once for all. But now the text draws our attention to our present reality. We see in our second point, draw near to God because Christ is our risen and ascended great high priest. We see this in verse 21 where the inspired author says, since we have a great high priest over the house of God. The author here is reminding us about the ongoing work of our Savior, that he remains our great high priest, and he continues to intercede for us, that he is our risen and ascended great high priest who is ruling and reigning at God's right hand. And he is there, loved ones. He is there, enthroned for us, for you, and for me. He is there to pray for us, to care for us, to protect us, and to assure us of God's compassion for us. He is there at this very moment over the house of God as one who is for us, who is our advocate. He is our brother. He is our friend. And so on that basis, we are exhorted to draw near in worship because he is the one who ushers us into that holy place where God dwells in the heavenly sanctuary. We see these same exhortations in Hebrews chapter 7 and also in Romans chapter 8. We read Hebrews chapter 7, verses 23 through 25, some verses that we looked at a few months ago. There we read, The former priests were many in number, because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. The same promise and assurance is given us in Romans chapter 8 verses 33 through 34. The question the Apostle Paul raises is, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. At this very moment, he is there for you and for me as our advocates. Uh, Pastor Ed Hartman, he gives the example of uh, being at a job interview to illustrate uh, the idea behind this. Uh, Most of us know the feeling of being in a job interview. The anxiety, the fears. Um, You could think back and you could remember feeling awkward in that way and feeling uneasy. Thinking, you know, I don't know what to wear. I don't know how to talk. I don't know if they'll like me. I don't know if they'll hire me. Um, You know, uh, do I make up some weaknesses that sound like I work too hard? Um, What do I do? How do I present myself to make myself acceptable 
And Ed Hartman, he says, uh, think about this. What if while you were waiting for that interview, sitting in the reception area, the company owner's son walks up and says, hey, are you here for the job interview? Uh, my dad owns the company. Come on. And, and, and he grabs you by the arm. He puts his own arm around you. He walks you in. He introduces you. He makes you look wonderful. And he convinces his dad to accept you. Now, just a caution, right? That's a very imperfect analogy that can quickly break down theologically if you overanalyze it. I mean, all kinds of heresies can arise out of that analogy, right? But it does explain some truth about what Christ does for us, doesn't it? He, he is the one who walks us in and says, this is the one for whom I did all that I did. He or she is in union with me. He or she is an insider with us. And it is the Father who says, welcome, draw near, you belong. And loved ones, it is on these two bases that we are exhorted to now draw near with confidence. Christ has in the past accomplished our salvation. He is now in the heavens ruling and reigning for us, for his church. So, draw near with confidence. Draw near with boldness. Draw near with full assurance. Look at verse 22. Let us draw near with a true heart, in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. So what we see here in verse 22, we see the way that we are now to come to God, to draw near to him. We see first, And we are to draw near to him with a true heart. This means that we are to come in sincerity, with hearts that are genuinely committed to Christ. You think about the context of the letter to the Hebrews, that the Hebrew Christians were tempted to turn away from Christ, were tempted to turn to some other means of seeking to draw near to God. But we know, loved ones, that there is no other way to draw near to God. Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And so we must come to God through him with hearts that are genuinely committed to Christ. We see in verse 22, secondly, that we are to draw near in full assurance of faith. Full assurance means conviction that this is true. It means certainty of faith. And it's important, again, to note that it's not a subjective feeling. It's not how I feel. But the inspired author is pointing us again to the objective truth of what Christ has accomplished, to look to his work and his ongoing intercession in heaven for you and for me. This is something that we will consider more in depth next Lord's Day. We see also in verse 22 that we are... Uh, Thirdly and fourthly, to draw near with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And these two ideas, they're best understood against the backdrop of the old covenant washings and rituals that the priests regularly participated in. Um, 
One example of this is from Exodus chapter 30, verses 17 through 20. Uh, This is a section of scripture that describes the instructions Israel received on how to build the tabernacle. And amongst the instructions was to build a basin in which the priest should uh, wash before their uh, ceremonial um, uh, rites and and the sacrifices. Uh, Beginning at verse 17 of Exodus 30, the Lord said to Moses, you shall also make a basin of bronze with its stand of bronze for washing. You shall put it between the tent of meeting and the altar, and you shall put water in it with which Aaron and his sons shall wash their hands and their feet when they go into the tent of meeting or when they come near the altar to minister to burn a food offering to the Lord, they shall wash with water so that they may not die. The author of Hebrews is drawing an analogy between that and the washing that we receive that is not merely external, but that is internal. In the new covenant, that washing is by the Holy Spirit, as the Holy Spirit applies the cleansing blood of Christ to us, regenerating us and making us that new creation that was promised in the old covenant. And there may even, as we consider this uh, verse, there may even be some connection here with baptism. More specifically, in that thing which baptism signifies, the spiritual renewal again that the Holy Spirit brings about. John Calvin makes a further connection here with the promise that God gave Israel in Ezekiel 36. And listen to this promise and how it connects here with these verses in he- this verse in Hebrews. The promise we read in Ezekiel 36 says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. That new covenant internal cleansing by the Holy Spirit that is shown forth by the outward application of the waters of baptism. We are to draw near in this way through the means that God has given us to approach him. And so, loved ones, I want to ask you this morning, what is causing you to stay away? What is causing you to remain at a distance from God? You you may be here this morning with your body, but your heart is far from God. And I want you to hear the exhortation that is for you. The exhortation that is for me, draw near to God with confidence. And we can do this, loved ones, not by denying our sinfulness, but by confessing Christ's greatness. This is exactly what Martin Luther was getting at when he said, I sin continually, but Christ has died and forever lives as my redeemer, priest, advocate, and king. Did you catch what Luther said? I sin continually. He acknowledged, this is my present struggle and sanctification. 
And it causes me to want to move away from God, to, dr- to remove myself from him, to shy away in fear and in shame. That is the temptation. But Luther says, Christ has died. This is what Christ has done. This is what Christ has accomplished. And further, Christ forever lives as my Redeemer, priest, advocate, and king. And so, brothers and sisters, let us draw near to God with confidence. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Christ and all of the blessings that we receive in him because of his finished work. And we thank you for your word that explains in detail what it means for us to have access, to have entrance into your presence. We pray that you would water the seed of the word that has been implanted in our hearts, and that you would bring forth gospel growth by your spirit. For we pray this in Jesus' name.